0: Bismillah wa wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So to touch on something that Sheikh Saad mentioned, when it, because I, I have been coming across this increasingly with everything that continues to happen worldwide in Syria, Burma, different places the things that are unfolding here in this country as well politically, there's an increasing amount of frustration and angst, particularly amongst younger folks of faith, younger Muslims, who are suffering or are dealing with that spiritual crisis of how can all these terrible things happen? And how do I reconcile my faith? How do I reconcile my belief in Allah? with all these terrible things occurring. And Sheikh Sa'ad talked about it very beautifully. One of the things that I was going to add on it that might help, particularly our younger folks who are studying, going to colleges, are exploring, and, you know, growing intellectually, something I wanted to share with them. One of probably the greatest uh, medieval philosophers is St. Thomas Aquinas. He pretty much... um, wrote the book quite literally on Christian theology and Christian philosophy. His most famous work is referred to as the Summa Theologica or just sometimes referred to as the Summa. And admittedly in his own writings he talks about how heavily influenced he was by Muslim philosophers and scholars like Al-Ghazali and others. So you definitely see shades of a lot of early Islamic thought within his own construction of thought and within his writings. He says something very fascinating. At the conclusion of his entire summa, his entire presentation on theology, he says that at the end all the objections to God were frivolous. All the objections to God were frivolous. Very easily dismissed. Did not even warrant a proper academic discussion. He said, aside from two, There were two objections that I feel need to be dealt with. The first one is the more intellectual one, but he also says that that is also symbolic, that is also representative, excuse me, of a spiritual problem. And he says that that is there being a scientific explanation for everything in existence. That basically, how does faith counter the idea that there's a scientific explanation for everything? And he said that's purely just intellectual arrogance. He says the one concern that is actually has some meaning or has some substance to it. He says it's the problem of suffering, the problem of human suffering, which is summarily referred to oftentimes in theology and philosophy as a problem of evil. But he says something very fascinating, very profound about this. He says that, however, this particular problem, struggling with human suffering, this is actually representative of something very good within the person. It's coming from a good place. And that is that a person is still a human being. They can still see, they can still recognize, they can still acknowledge and be bothered by another human being's suffering and pain. And so he said it's the soul that cries out. That why is this person suffering? But the solution to that problem in our tradition, as he mentions it as well, is the afterlife. We just simply have to understand That the scope of our conversation, the scope of our belief and our faith is not limited to this world, but it extends into the eternal life of the hereafter. And that's very important for us to understand and deal with. And I wanted to mention this not only to kind of touch upon that, but also to lead forward with what I wanted to talk about. And that is... With everything that's been transpiring, what are we, what are we supposed to do now? What's our game plan? What is our plan of action? What are we going to do now in the face of all these overwhelming circumstances? Where we see a very difficult time potentially coming ahead. The first thing I want to mention, and I've mentioned this before a few other places, and I need everyone to really understand what I'm saying here. We first and foremost have to stop living in, you know, like a 10 second burst. Like life is not a snap. We can't just, our memories and our understanding of this life and this world cannot be limited to just the last 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or whatever it is that I know, whatever my frame of reference is. When we go back into our history, we see that this is not the first time that Muslims have been embattled. It is not the first time that people have been persecuted. There have been very tragic and difficult times before. And you know what the remarkable thing is? We're still sitting here in a room full of people today. That's the remarkable thing. Difficulty has come before, and we hope for the best. We pray for the best. And I don't want to I don't want to frighten anyone, but difficulty will come again. That is the nature of this world. Ups and downs and highs and lows and good times and bad times. That is how this world works. That is how Allah has constructed this world. That is why there is an afterlife. So we faced difficulty before in a com- as a community. Whether it was the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, and nearly 80 Muslims sneaking out in the middle of the night, and fleeing their own homes, to go and live in East Africa as refugees. Whether it's the Prophet home being surrounded by assassins, who are trying to kill him and Allah rescuing him through there. Whether it be the city of Medina being laid siege to, being besieged. And 10,000 and and an army of allies has gathered together around the city of Medina to burn it to the ground. And they still saw, uh, they still had another day to look forward to. There was still a tomorrow. In fact, so much so that Allah says in the Qur'an, وَمَا كَانَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ لِيَنْفِرُوا kafatan," That even if the situation became so dire, that everyone had to go out there, and it seemed like it was the last fight, the last battle, and there might not be even a tomorrow. Even then, God says, Allah says in the Quran, you must plan for tomorrow. Because there will be a tomorrow. Your faith and your belief tells you that there will be a tomorrow. When the sun rises from the west, then there's no tomorrow. But until and unless that happens, you always work for tomorrow. That even when everyone has to go out there, to fight whatever last battle has presented itself, you still got to leave a group of people behind who can hold the fort down, who can make sure the community is still intact. Why? <laughs> because there will be a tomorrow. People will come back home, and we will have a community. So that's our reality. As the sheikh was saying, that is our theology. That is our belief. That is real practical aqidah. That is what God has told us in the Qur'an. That is what Allah has said in the Qur'an. And that's what we believe in. So we will always be working. Now how do we respond when things start to take a turn for the worse? We respond with even more action. We respond with more vigor. We respond with a recommitment to our principles. To our ideals. To who we are and what we do. And I'll share with you what the Prophet sallallahu in a very beautiful narration, in a very beautiful hadith found in the musnad of Imam Ahmad, in the jami'ah of Imam Tirmidhi along with many other books of hadith and seerah When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa arrived in the city of Medina he laid out the mandate the game plan, the plan of action for the Muslim community and it's it holds true till today. It has not changed even today. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he said, Ya ayyuhannas, O people, O humanity. Number one, salam. Spread peace. And this has both its broader meaning and its more specific meaning. Broader meaning meaning create an environment of peace. Create an environment of safety and protection. Allowing people to feel safe and secure once again. And that has a more specific meaning within the community, which is giving the greetings of peace to one another. That truly become a community. And connect with one another. Number two, وَأَطْعِمُوا ta'am. Which means, if you literally translate it, it translates to, feed food. Now that's very peculiar. And a lot of times it's translated as feed the needy. It's not only just feed the needy. Feed the needy is a part of it. Feed those who are hungry is a part of it. But it's just share food. So again, it has a broader meaning of just sharing food and a specific meaning of specifically feeding those who are hungry. So feed those who are hungry. There should never be anyone who's left hungry. There should never be anyone left in your community who is bracing the cold out there on the streets without a roof over their head, without a coat on their back, without a blanket on them. That should never happen. There should never be anyone going hungry. That is your mandate. That is your responsibility. And then feeding food overall is that just eat together, get to know one another, develop more deeper relationships. The Prophet صلى الله a very beautiful habit of the Prophet صلى الله that's mentioned in the Shama'il, the prophetic personality, is that the Prophet صلى الله عليه never ever ate by himself. He never ate by himself. No matter where he was, he would always call someone, find someone to come sit with him and eat with him. The Prophet ﷺ beautifully taught us, food for two is enough for four. And food for four is enough for eight. That has to become our mantra. We do not eat alone. We feed people, we feed everyone. We make sure everyone is taken care of. Number three, Wasilul arham. Siloo Al Arham that strengthen and maintain family relationships that secure your homes and your families and lead by example and show other people what it means to be a family. And also bring other people into your family as well. Treat others like family. Remember that moment when the Prophet comes out during the Battle of the Trench, which I alluded to earlier. And they're digging the trench, and the Prophet told them to divide up into their groups based on their families so that they know each other. Divide up into your families and start digging the trench. Take a portion of the trench and start digging. He comes out to find a debate going on. What is the debate? That there are two groups that are arguing, that are debating that Salman al-Farisi, Salman the Persian, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, should be digging with their group. Because the Ansar, the Medinan Muslims, say he is an Ansari, he is a Medinan. He came to Medina before Islam came to Medina. And the muhajirun, those who have migrated to the city of Medina, they're saying, no, 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 he's from amongst us, because he's not a native of Medina, so he should be digging with us. They're not trying to pawn him off to the other, they're trying to claim him for themselves. And the Prophet ﷺ outdoes everyone. When the Prophet ﷺ walks out and he says, Salman will not dig with the muhajirun, nor will he dig with the Ansar. Salmanu minna Salman will dig with my family because he's my family. He belongs to my family. That the man who had no family, the Prophet ﷺ made him his own family. Silul arham, build families, homes. Wasalu wa niyam. and then pray at night while people are asleep. Strengthen your relationship with Allah. Have Allah on your side. Make sure you strengthen your convictions and your belief with Allah. And what will be the result and the outcome of this? Remember, He started off by addressing all humanity, not just the Muslims. Ya ayyu nas, He said, "Tadkhulu al-jannah bi salam." All of y'all, all of y'all will enter paradise together with with peace and tranquility. Everyone. And that's what our that's what we that's the job we have in front of us to speak very directly and specifically about the circumstances at hand, at least here domestically and locally. That with the turn of events with the election, with the tone of the national conversation becoming the way that it is, increasingly racist and white supremacist and very predatory and angry towards minorities, it is very discerning But understand, we've never been one and pardon the language here. I don't want anyone to misinterpret, but we've never been one to back down from a fight, from a challenge. We don't. We meet the challenge head on. We were the people who gave refuge, who took people in, who were persecuted by others. And that's the legacy we have to come back to. We will respond to this, but we will work harder. And we will organize more strategically. And will sacrifice our comforts and our luxuries. And will work. I know many of the folks here, many of the brothers and sisters are very young. Probably seems beyond you. But it is not. It absolutely is not. We a lot of times look at the companions, the sahaba, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, because they hold such high esteem and such regard in our hearts and our minds, that we a lot of times assume them to be very elderly, older, you know people, very accomplished people, who then could do that work and could make the efforts and the sacrifice that were needed. But that's a misunderstanding on our part. What we need to understand, what we need to realize, is exactly who the companions were, who the Sahaba radiallahu taala anhum were. I have a little, just a list, that I wanted to share with y'all about some of the most notable and illustrious companions of the Prophet ﷺ, and exactly how old they were so that we can understand that we are up to this particular task. Ali bin Abi Talib, the Ali radiallahu ta'ala, who was 10 years old when he accepted Islam. Abdullah bin Umar. Abu Ubaidat ibn al Jarrah radiallahu ta'ala anhum They were both 13 years old when they became Muslim. Uqbat ibn Amr was 14. Jabir bin Abdullah, Zayd bin Haritha were 15. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, Khabbab ibn Al-Arat, Zubayr ibn Al-Awam were 16 years old. Talhat ibn Ubaidullah, Abdurrahman bin Awf, Arqam ibn al Arqam, Sa'd bin Abi Waqas, Asma bint Abi Bakr we are all 17 years old. Mu'ad ibn Jabal, Musa ibn Umayr were 18 years old. Jafar bin Abi Talib was 22 years old. Abu Musa al Ash'ari was 19 years old. Uthman ibn Al huwaidith Uthman bin Affan, Abu Ubaidah, and even Abu Hurairah and even Umar ibn Khattab ta'ala anhu, were all in their late 20s. So we are definitely up to the task. We just have to remember exactly who we are. And we have to understand that we got to stop waiting for somebody else to come and feel bad for us and to feel sorry for us or rescue us. We have to be the people out there that are taking care of others while all this tragedy and all this suffering is going on. And remember the promise that the Prophet ﷺ makes at the end. We will find not only dignity in this world, but we'll find the eternal happiness and peace and bliss of the hereafter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all conviction and strength. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all faith in the face of hardship and tragedy. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to realize our purpose and our meaning in life by getting back to where the companions of the Prophet were and be able to regain the true glory of this ummah and that is through serving others. taking care of others. Jazakumullah khairan. As-salamu alaykum.